Hey, greetings and welcome to the Mount Rushmore podcast. My name is Jeff and I'm joined as always by my good friends Richard. Hello. And Michael. Howdy. Richard and Michael debate and deliberate the most ubiquitous aspects of many topics. And this time we get personal, we get vulnerable with the Mount Rushmore of things that you're a sucker for. And I think this was Richard's topic. Why'd you choose it, Richard? Um, because I was thinking about one thing specifically that came up. That you're a grade A sucker. That I'm just a grade A sucker. Yeah, I'm, I'm literally the Bugs Bunny cartoon <laughs> where, you, where where Bugs <laughs> Bunny sees somebody as a literal like lollipop. That's uh, <laughs> for this for for several things, including uh, this. You were aspiring to maroon, but no, uh, Did, couldn't quite get there. <laughs> and you know, I thought about that, and I thought there are certain things that like. Maybe maybe it's beyond reason. Maybe there are things that are cheesy or or you otherwise wouldn't love, but for some reason you, you happen to. Yeah, they could be good things. They could be bad things. It just could be, it's just for whatever reason, it just hits you the right way. I was interested in how this differs from kitsch because uh, you know nobody says, "Boy, I'm a sucker for a Picasso," you know, or "I'm a sucker for like a a very expensive <laughs> steak." There's yes. a sense of of the thing being unworthy of much accolades that mm. that uh, so and that almost like almost like kitsch something that but like you said it could be ugly too it could be something that's uh, you know kind of revolting or, or right. something yeah yeah no I, I think I it all think, go ahead I was gonna say I don't think any of my choices are are kitsch so yeah. one of them maybe a little bit but okay all right okay cool all right. Um, um. Yeah, I was going to say that I think also, too, with being a sucker, it implies um, a repetitiveness. Mm. So it's not just like yep. you've fallen for something. It's like you keep falling for the same thing over and over um, in spite of it, in spite of it being um, terrible or bad or bad for you or um, whatever it is. I think that when I was definitely putting together my my personal Mount Rushmore, I was like, oh, this is something that happens all the time. It couldn't just be like, I, I like this one thing. It's like, oh, this is, uh, I can't believe I keep falling for it again and again. Yeah. It's a fool me twice, shame on me yeah. thing. Uh, um, I think also if we think of the term like sucker punch, there's a, a sense of uh, the uh, the hmm. person the person on the other side of this thing it knows <laughs> They know that they're uh, duping you or trapping you if if there's indeed uh, somebody pulling the strings. But uh, maybe we dissect it too much. Uh, so, Michael, what's your first thing that you're a sucker for? Well, I have um, categories this week for the first Ooh. time in a long time. And wow. We're talking about those categories. We're talking about the throwback. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, music, uh, food, uh, places, and people. So my first one under food is the super shitty Philly cheesesteak that was oh. over at the rec room slash the draft. Uh-huh. Uh, but just also just like shitty Philly cheesesteaks in general, where it's not like it's not like their taste is all that great. Like I'm not talking about like one that is really good. I don't mean like a high quality, a lot of great ingredients sort of hot melty cheese sandwich with onions and things. I'm talking about something that just like that really satisfies you when you're three and a half beers into a night and you're uh, kind of um, 
looking for something that is just familiar, but it's not, it's just not great. You're just like, uh, why am I? and then you, <laughs> you go to the bar and you sit in there. You're like, Hmm, what am I going to get at this? Yes. Chicken tenders. I could get those. I can get a burger. I haven't had a burger in a little while. And then you just get to the point where you're like, ah, oh, who am I kidding myself? I'm going to get this thing that I love for no apparent reason. <laughs> and then I would feel like at, at the end of uh, my run there in kickball, this is all happening. Oh, sorry, uh, folks. Uh, we used to go to a, a bar that had changed uh, names and ownerships over the course of a decade. Um, and our league bar uh, here in LA or here in the Valley uh, was called the port at one point, And then it was, bought out and rebranded as the draft and then it was bought out and rebranded as the rec room and um, some of the ownership kind of maintained the same so um, the menu basically stayed the same and uh, I guess the insult to injury too part of it was that uh, after we had left going to there as our league bar and went someplace else we went back but in the interim year and a half that we were gone, they had created something called the FMW shot, which was for the fuck Michael Winfield shot for, <laughs> for, uh, for having the gall to um, take um, our, our league bar someplace else because they didn't pay their bills. Oh, God. <laughs> and then we still went back and I still bought the same Philly cheesesteak and, you know, whatever. So there's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot that's involved in this Philly cheesesteak that um, feels like I'm in a bad relationship with it. Uh-huh. So it's it's not uh, this high end uh, cheddar or whatever the cheese that it's it's kind of like Velveeta and and bologna, bologna or something like that. This is that the thing is created out of. Right. It's yeah. Not, sus- sus- suspicious gray meat. Yeah. Smothered in a white cheese that is like, I don't know what it is. Yeah. Like, I'm eating gritty, the the mascot or something. It's the worst taste in Philly. Uh, Wow. And you you described this somewhat of the seduction that try to avoid being a sucker for something. There's that phase in which you're trying to avoid being suckered again, right? But you know you're susceptible to this this thing. Yes. the sirens call me back to the sea. Oh, have you God. been? Have you been since they re 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 rebranded as the Thirsty Merchant? Uh, no, I haven't. They and, do have. Um, they do. They do have a Philly cheesesteak there. Oh, I wonder if it's shitty. I would uh, hope it's still shitty. It says it's thinly sliced beef, white American grilled onions, and mushrooms on a roll. So, who knows if they change if they've changed it? I will say the food there is very good. Mm. I've been there. That's where our trivia bar was before back way back, you know, six months ago when we could still do trivia nine months yeah. ago. Good yeah. Lord. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's there for you, Michael, if you ever want it. Uh, you know what? When everything opens up again, let's all go together and clink a shitty, shitty Philly cheese steak sandwich together. I first knew Ready. that place as the port of Athens mm-hmm. before it was the port. I think. Oh, yeah. It it dropped the Athens. It is, so the fact that it's just not filled with euros <laughs> is a a big uh, evolution for that place. Uh, Richard, what are you a sucker for? All right, so I'll I'll do my my food choice. Actually, technically I've got two, but the second one kind of is, kind of isn't. Um, this one is a, a pure food choice, and it's mint chip ice cream. Oh, it is by far and away. 
if I go to an ice cream place, 95% of the time, if yeah. they have mint chip, I'm going to get mint chip. Yeah. Even though I can recognize that it's not necessarily the greatest flavor, it's a very, I almost said vanilla flavor, and I guess the vanilla flavor would actually be <laughs> vanilla. Yeah. But it's a very standard, boring kind of choice. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, you know, we would go to, there's a place in Los Angeles here called Mashti Malone's. And they do like Middle Eastern flavored ice creams that are really good. Rose water, that type of stuff, saffron. And I would go and you'd get samples. Like, man, this is amazing. Boy, I've never tasted anything like this. This is so good. So what kind do you want? Mint chip? Hmm. Because I just, for whatever reason, I, I, much like Michael with that Philly cheesesteak, I have now locked in on this is just when I get ice cream. This is what, this is the ice cream I get. Yeah. Do you think the, do you think there's ice cream? That, so what peeves me about the ice cream industry is there, it's almost big like ice cream. big <laughs> ice cream, it's almost like, like candles. Like there used to be like two candles or something. And now there's all these hipster anti, it's like the anti fragrance of a candle. You know, we're not going to, well, it's vanilla. We're not going to smell like vanilla. So we'll, we'll smell like, it's tobacco and patchouli and and sun-dried tomato candle, you know, or something that you just, this is not helpful. And I feel like they've done that with ice cream. And what I want to ask is, well, I would love to just stand up in the middle of one of those places like Salt and Straw and say, do you really like this stuff? And I think people would just be honest and go, no, I don't like, right. I don't like leaf and... <laughs> And green tea, you know, or like, no, that's two leaves. I don't, I don't know. Salt and straw, salt and straw at one point had a bug ice cream. Yeah. And it's just like, you're trying too hard. Yeah. That's, that's trying too hard. It's totally trying to bug. And, but there's also Brussels sprout is another flavor in bug with bug. Like, no, it's really, really bad. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you just want the basic, the basic stuff. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, sometimes even though you're, you're, you may think you have a sophisticated palate. What your heart really wants is just mint and chocolate chip and you're happy. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think, I think too, Richard, there is a um, almost a measuring stick quality about it when you've settled in on the flavor that you are looking to replicate and enjoy. It's like, um, you know, when we were doing pizza club for all those many years and you'd always get a pepperoni pizza because that was just such a nice way to um, identify a commonality between places that you go. I'm sure maybe when you get mint and chip, you're like, Oh, well, you know what? I know what mint and chip's supposed to taste like. I know what pepperoni pizza is supposed to taste like. I don't have to like rewire my brain with uh, grass and fig and, um, uh, yeah, you know, rose water. You, it's like, I have to, I, I know the tip flavor. If this gets it right, it gets it right. And I'll be happy. And even if it doesn't get it right, pretty hard to fuck up mint and chip. Yeah, that's, so I like that's, I'm go- I'm gonna be yeah. okay. I'm gonna be okay with the result. I think that's part of it. Is 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 mint chip is such a, a it's 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 hard to like you said screw it up. It's like a pepperoni pizza. It's still yeah. pizza. You know? Do you do you, so when I eat Thai food, there were times when I varied from pad Thai, and each time I got burned. It was something I was not rewarded for experimenting in that avenue. Were you? Were you more experimental with ice cream in earlier times and you just got burned? Like, 
No, I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, I mean, here's the thing. I, if, if, if it's a milkshake, like if I'm at Baskin Robbins and I'm getting a milkshake, I'm probably getting a world-class chocolate or a gold medal ribbon uh-huh. milkshake. I'm not getting a mint chip. Yeah, because it clogs up, the, clogs up the straw. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm not – there are certain scenarios where I will be slightly more – and, I'm, and you know, gold medal ribbon is not exactly this exotic flavor mm-hmm. necessarily. But there are times where I'll, I'll deviate from the mint chip. But no, for the most part. I remember as a kid my order was a scoop of mint chip and a scoop of chocolate chip. And then at some point I was like, you know what? The chocolate chip is just a lesser version of the mint chip. Why am I doing this? Yeah. Yeah. It's mint without the toothpaste taste that you like. Yeah, exactly. Or it's chocolate. Okay, uh, Winfield, what's your second choice? Uh, My second choice is under the category of music, and it's um, lead singers for bands who are guys with weird voices. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't know what it is, but um, maybe it's uh, the Isaac Brocks of this world, the uh, Calvin Johnson of Beat Happenings of this world, the Stephen Malkmuses, yeah. the uh, Fred Schneiders, Connor Oberst, yeah. uh, all Wait, these guys. Was one of those guys the Future Islands guys? Because I remember you you were on that guy, like the weird. Oh God, voice. I love yeah. love him too. Uh, <laughs> I got to think of I got to think of his name, but like, um, I don't know what it is about. I'm looking at my list and they're all like, you know, uh, weird uh, white guys, too, who happen to be like the lead singers for band. I don't know if it's like a uh, late 70s, early 80s, early 90s, like come out of suburban America, sort of like mm-hmm. I'm a guy that's picked up a guitar and, and I'm just now a poet songwriter and I sing words and it doesn't matter what my voice sounds right. And I'm kind of attracted to just like. Uh, the brashness of it all. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, I I think that Isaac Brock is an amazing songwriter, musician, and he's got a terrible voice, but I love it. It sounds so awful, but it just works for whatever is going on with the music. And I don't know, I just looking at the list, it's like, oh my God, I just love the way uh, the guy from Clap Your Hands say, yeah, uh, all, all of the people from Animal Collective, uh, even like someone like Colin Malloy has a weird voice Yeah, for the Decemberists. He mm-hmm. has a very uh, lyrical sounding voice too, um, but eh, he can get pretty weird and pretty nasally and pretty strange with the way he sounds. And like, I don't know what it is. I'm just a sucker for it. And like the music sometimes isn't super great or what I'm really into at the moment, but it's like that combination of just like, Ah, the bravado of just having no like great singing voice and being able to just go up there and do it is like, wow, you're not like a crooner, but you're just like able to do it. Oh, that's cool. Do you, do you, is there a part of you that wanted to be a, a, a singer, songwriter, performer? Never. Time? And that's oh, really? like, that's the thing. Like it's, I, maybe it's that I, I'm amazed at someone else's ambition in, in this, that I've never had that need or want to pick up a guitar or play a drum or follow any sort of musical pursuit. I've never tried to write a song. I've never tried to write lyrics. I've, Mm -hmm. you know, I, when I sing it's terribly, but I don't expect anything out of it. I don't try, (laughs) I don't try. I don't know. There's just, there's just something that is just so, it just gets me so viscerally that I'm just like, ah, this guy sounds terrible. I love it. 
Well, you're a Morrissey. <laughs> you're you're a Smiths fan. I am. Well, I'm Morrissey. Like, there's another guy with a weird voice. He does have a weird. I, it's funny. Like I kind of have him written down on my list, and it's like, um, he's got a weird voice, but then he also kind of knows how to carry a note, which sure. doesn't feel like in line with some some other people. Uh, you know, David Byrne is a guy with a weird voice, but he can kind of sing. Yeah. Uh, I guess, you know, Colin Malloy is on that same sort of level, but there are just some people that are just like, man, what is, uh, what, no, I, what, why do I like this? I don't know I, why. And, and why I, is I it, just do. Why is it males and not females? Because like a Liz, I, Liz, Liz Fair can't carry a tune. God bless her soul. I mean, she's not what you would call a, a great singer. I don't know. I mean, it's not, it's not like I don't, I don't enjoy like um, uh, female lyrics, female singers, who have weird voices, but like it just, I'm just not like a sucker for it or what. And however this category is, as always, it always falls into the same, these same like four boxes. Mm. Sure. There seems to be an epidemic I have observed of women who are singing in kind of baby voice. Like, uh, I, 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 and I, I guess I just identify it as not pronouncing their R's. Um, like if you care about me, like uh, almost like Blossom Deary or some, it's like like an infant, and I want, I want to ask a lady friend to punch that woman for me, or so it just it just irks gets under my skin. Whereas yeah, if a guy has a weird voice, it doesn't it doesn't bother me for some reason. It seems like character to me, or or or, or you know it seems like naivete and lack of ego posturing, which is so. Uh, uh, void for many front many front men have have uh, have attained that position through their just incredible ego. Mm. Like, do you, what do you think Julian Casablancas feels about himself? You know, <laughs> but whenever you hear those idiots who can't, uh, or it might even be kind of like what you call like naive rock, not like Wesley Willis crazy naive. Like uh, Chad Fair has a kind of like really kind of un purposely untrained voice and it seems almost to connect even more close to the emotion and story of the song because he's not it's not like yeah not processed yeah yeah it's not processed through all this uh technique and and melodrama <laughs> like i remember my in-laws my ex-in-laws telling me that uh neil diamond early in his career was kind of known as the guy who couldn't sing very well. Like I, I'd never heard that sentiment levied towards him, but well, yeah, compared to Elvis Presley or <laughs> compared to some other people, Nat King Cole or some of the other people of that era. Well, if you think about it, he was kind of a sing talker. A lot yeah. of that stuff. It's, it's, it's less singing and it's more kind uh-huh. of like, like, you know, talking your way through the song. Yeah. I am. I said, so I get that. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Okay. Okay, cool. Um, what do you got for your second choice, Richard? All right. I will go with my music choice because I do have one. Um, and it is when uh, non-psychedelic bands put out a, a psychedelic song. Oh, wow. So this could be, you know, so maybe they're in a phase where all of a sudden they go psychedelic. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe it just happens to be one song or a, a couple of songs. Um but yeah, for whatever reason, and it's weird because I'm not necessarily a huge fan of psychedelia 
as a genre from the 60s mm-hmm. that doesn't tick a ton of boxes for me like I, i'm not somebody who obsesses over sid barrett era pink floyd or something like that mm-hmm. uh, but whatever reason modern bands who aren't psychedelic whenever they you throw a little bit of a sitar or a zither or some other like little yeah. flourish in there psychedelic yeah. flourish and i'm hooked yeah so it could be you know when prince did around the world you know, in, in a day when you know like, like when raspberry beret came out yeah or when the bang Kravitz did a lot of yeah yeah Le- lenny kravitz bangles within your room was another one that i had on my list um, pretty much the entirety of the Elephant Six Collective, so like your Apples and the Stereo and mm-hmm. Neutral Milk Hotel. There's a lot of leaning that way with, with some of their songs. And it just, I don't know, I, I, I try to think about why it hits me so much. And I think it's just, I just find it fascinating that, that, that that's something that a lot of rock bands kind of come back to or come towards at some point in their career. Usually not at the beginning, but at some point when they're trying to expand their horizons, so to speak, the the direction they lean is psychedelic. Yeah, that's uh, I think Angus. It's either Angus or Malcolm was, uh, and I think I brought this up on the show before, of ACDC uh, was being teased by a rock journalist for making the same album. 11 times. And at that time, <laughs> his reply was, no, we've made the same album 13 times. Uh, and their position being why they have observed, you know, people like the Rolling Stones put out a Honor Majesty's Satanic Service or people like the Beatles who started off doing Chuck Berry covers do their Sgt. Pepper. Brilliant as it may be, those bands come back to uh, four in the floor, you know, four, four guys doing rock songs in the middle eight and, and they go back to the same place. And so his argument was why leave? Why, why, why depart and do some indulgent studio thing um, with six, six, seven minute songs. If we're just yeah, it, back, yeah. It's something that, t- that tends to happen with bands like, like Aerosmith would dabble in that in their later career. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, it is a self-indulgence thing. And I, and I don't know why it. I know why it comes back to psychedelia, but it does. Yeah, I. Well, you know, do you think it's a, it's a drug dalliance or it's um, uh, or oh, what, I don't know. Wanting to break like like a uh, uh, pet sounds was full of um, soundscapes and and uh, things that probably were inspired by drugs, but it did not enter the world of psychedelia that I could even kind of say. It was no, kind of, I. I think it's interesting. This is the one that I sort of thought of when you mentioned Kitsch, where it kind of falls into that a little bit. I think there is that kind of retro, cool element to it and a little bit of the Kitsch factor of, hey, you know, it's everyone knows that if you hear a sitar, suddenly it's it's a psychedelic song. So we're going to throw a sitar on there and it's a little bit of a nod and a wink. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of that kind of kitsch factor happening as well. Yeah. Were you a Dukes of Stratosphere fan ever? Yes, I was. <laughs> um, if you guys are if you guys are not familiar, I will briefly explain the band XTC uh, back in like 1986, 87. Uh, we had the chance to record first it was an EP and then a full album under the alias Dukes of Stratosphere. 
And the whole setup was that the the record label at the time, Virgin Records, released it as this unreleased album by this by the uh, 60s psychedelic pioneers, Dukes of Stratosphere. And each of the songs was basically a genre take on different psychedelic bands and songs and, and things like that. And it's fantastic. I mean, they, they absolutely, absolutely hit it out of the park. And yes, I was a huge fan. Yeah. That's uh, I think an example of, um, well, one nostalgia looking back much, you know, if you, if you did a if spinal tap does a throwback thing to its earlier iterations, you know, now that's, uh, you know, that's 60 years old now, but that was only 15 years old <laughs> yeah. when they were doing that stuff. Now, you mentioned Dukes, and it's funny because they made that album right after this album called The Big Express, which was this kind of more, almost like a, a rock, real rock album and very kind of shiny and industrial sounding. And then they went, you know, kind of to fuck off for a couple of weeks and make the psychedelic thing. And then their next album, Skylarking, which has these very psychedelic elements to it, even though it's more of a straight pop album. Um, so it's interesting that they sort of, you know, reached a point, got into psychedelia as this sort of goof off thing and it kind of impacted the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's an interesting thing because I, I remember reading about that album and Andy Partridge might be somebody like a Susanna Hoff who comes out of a scene in which punk has uh, skewered the indulgences of the hippie movement and, you know, uh, the indulgence of rock stars getting, doing drugs and going to a studio and doing all these things that are supposed to be self-important. And punk gives the two fingers to those things and um, then produces these short, powerful, uh, uh, energetic songs. And I think at the Bangles as being part of part of out of that movement, if if not more, maybe the Go-Go's. But but so when the Bengals get indulgent with a psychedelia thing, it almost seems like a uh, heresy. <laughs> it seems like, like they're they're ignoring the the reductionist uh, aesthetic that got them, that made us love them. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. So the Dukes, uh, so XCC doing that, I think, uh, I remember Andy Partridge was just saying, like, you know, it's, here, here we all were being so uptight and adhering to this punk aesthetic when it just kind of limited us. It kept us from exploring and going places musically. Like, we were all so wed to not being able to play our instruments because that was the idea of punk. Like, right. It just kept them from being, <laughs> from telling better stories and being better at music. So. Interesting. Oh, I'm a sucker for half times. It's just the time <laughs> where I get to look back at what we have built. You guys, we have spent a lot of time talking to each other and we have put that out there for, uh, as just this wealth of knowledge for uh, generations to come to suck from and, and learn from. And it's the holocron of our wisdom. Um, so you can go uh, indulge us by dipping back into past episodes, downloading, rating, and reviewing them. You can find them on uh, any podcast aggregator. 
You can also contact us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and let us know what you think. And then you could also suggest future episodes. That would be so cool. And if you are a podcast host and you want to do kind of a collab, a uh, co-op kind of thing, that'd be cool too. We love having guests on the show. So there. So dudes, uh, I, I, it's just so cool now because now I feel like Wiley Coyote who if Roadrunner would to tell him all their weaknesses the next time he goes out to try to trap them. So if you are ever zipping down the, uh, <laughs> the uh, freeway in Tucson or somewhere and you see a, uh, a, a box that has mint chip ice cream free and a so- sign on it and uh, don't look up because there's an a-, a 16 ton anvil <laughs> roped up above it. What, uh, Michael, what's your third? Uh, my third choice, uh, Jeff. And it's in your wheelhouse. It is a place, and it is Disneyland. Oh shit! Okay, I I knew there would be some pander going on, but that's you as a SoCal kid were into it before me. So this is the real thing. This is the real this thing. is that's so much a part of it is like growing up in like it's not like you grew up here or I did back in the day um, when I was a kid and you went to Disneyland all that often. You'd go every once in a while, maybe once a year, if that, every yeah. couple years. But you just start to like build this familiarity with yeah. Disneyland. Um, and uh, Disneyland is a weird, weird place to visit once because it is completely and totally magical, yet it is um, – you are engulfed in, depending on when you go, these super long lines and you're trying to navigate this park and trying to do everything where, what in a way that you can never do within a given day. And then if you've gone over the years and you've been a dozen times or if you're one of those um, like annual pass holders that go all the time, not now, but then for me at least – you go and you're like, okay, well, let's go to Disneyland. And then you still like, oh my God, I love this place. Yeah. I forgot. You forget about the magic. You forget about what it's like to walk around with some place um, the first time with someone. Like I remember back when Emily went for the first time, when we first started dating, which was like uh, 11 years ago now, like it was just great to like, have like an intimate knowledge of the place and to walk around and just show her things and know how to get, you know, from uh, critter country to, you know, uh, w- just where everything was at any given time. And um, I don't know that in spite of the long lines and the people and the obnoxious tourism and the, uh, you know, uh, gratuitous marketing and the overprice and all the different stuff that goes into it. Oh my God. The heat. Sometimes you're just like, ah, oh, this place is so cool. When like yeah. the fireworks go off and you notice things that you've never seen before. And there's so much that is going on about the place that you're just like, ah, oh. and you're just a sucker for it. Like I go in expecting fully to be kind of, um, Oh, what's cynical a little bit. And then you just leave walking at the end of the night. You're like, wow, well, that was just fun. <laughs> oh yeah for sure i i've worked for the company for 10 years and i kind of fully expect each time i go to to tap out and go yep i'm done 
I've had I've had my fill. Don't need any more of this. And, and there's always something each time. Something. There's also like you know there's. I think that Disneyland also offers like an interesting chemistry depending on who you go with. If you've gone with people that you don't normally go with, it's different. If you go with people that, um, like we've been together, I think once, maybe twice, Jeff, you've gotten mm-hmm. us in with mm-hmm. said, um, employee yeah. passes. And it's like one of those things where it's like, Oh, it's really fun to walk around Disneyland with Jeff. Who's been here way too much, too many times. Oh, Yet yeah. on the other hand, uh, no offense. It's really not fun to go with you, Patty who might be listening to this because you've been way too many times. Yeah. And it's like, you got your, you have your, your set pattern of what you need to get to. And it's like, ah, oh, my goodness. I, it's exhausting. I, just to, I just, yeah, I just want to go to Disneyland. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do everything in the right, in the right order and max out mm-hmm. my fast pass and, and feel like I'm going to this place, you know, to say this nine, you know, nine months ago, 10 months ago, be like, this may be the last time I ever go to Disneyland and, like, I don't yeah. want that feeling. I just want to go and be like, oh, man, that was great. I want to discover, um, you know, uh, some great new food stand that I didn't know about. Yeah. I I feel that same way. And I think going with other people is great because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never be a parent. Uh, but the idea that you you and uh, and Richard get to see the world through another creature's eyes, you <laughs> see how somebody else does the thing how how they enjoy it and how they brighten up and what the things what things they brighten up at when they look at like that's so exciting for me too and I I think for me now Disneyland is kind of kind of have a feeling like if I would go to my grandma's house like there's sights and sounds and smells that aren't at our house and they're unique and uh, and really inviting so yeah that's that's interesting I at, the fortune that I have of of having the the pass, and I guess if you're an annual pass holder, it's it's that way too. Is you you don't have the stress of wringing all the fun you can out of uh, this these 12 hours before you get exhausted or the kids melt down or whatever. Like yeah. you know, oh, I can come back tomorrow. <laughs> if I want to. Yeah, no, I uh, you you got a you and Jen got our family in several years ago. And we had that sort of stress. Like I had the app that I paid like six bucks for that would uh-huh. tell you, here's, if you want to do this, go at this time. There's an X, X minute wait. So you're now it's a good time to go to this. So what you should be doing is send somebody over to get the uh, fast pass at, uh, at, mm. at Star Wars, yeah. but then come back here, but do that while you're in line for this. And then it, we got we hit pretty much everything we wanted to do except the Indiana Jones ride, mm-hmm. which was pretty amazing for like a, a single day there. Oh, yeah, but I got sure. done I got done and it was just like I felt like I'd been in a war. You know? <laughs> I felt like I'd fought a fought gone twelve rounds with the champ. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was do wild. It's funny that the way you're describing it, and you know, maybe maybe the way Patty is describing it almost feels like um if somebody would try to coach you to beat the end guy in call of duty or like a, a game, a video game or something like that, you got to strafe, right. Then go duck behind the rock, then throw a plasma <laughs> grenade. At, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's very it's, similar. It's, it's you versus Disneyland. Yeah. There, there's an element of trying to like, it's not like beating the system, but it's trying to, to use Squeeze the, all the juice use out of the, the lemon. system to get out of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I, I will, 
say that among of the things that have been mentioned, they, you know, obviously like food is, is always trying to kind of please you, but, uh, and boy, mint chip ice cream is too, but, but Disneyland, if you were to say what you are a sucker for, Disneyland is pretty much a, what would be the result if a bunch of designers and artists wanted to sucker a bunch of people into some real estate and in Orange County, that's what Disneyland is. Like, it is all the hits. You know, it's all the, it's all the, the most attractive, engaging, colorful, eye candy things that you could put into that, uh, that area. So I almost think it's hard to resist. I, I will say one of the most disappointing experiences I ever had was going there with my older brother, Mike, who is the He's a philosopher, he's an artist, he's a musician. I've grown up just admiring this guy and his points of view on things. And to watch him walk around and just shake his head in detest at every every <laughs> corner and crevice of that park. Uh, and I'm like, what, what, what don't you like about it? It's just, he, he just looked at me like, it's one big commercial. It's one big commercial for a fake product that doesn't exist. I was like, it's like and yeah. what's your point? Yeah, and come on, man. Oh wow. I think he just saw it as just like this jazz hands, you know, this person in his face trying to make him smile the whole time. And he was just like, No, I will not be manipulated. Um that was horrible. Oh man, that was horrible. Okay, uh Disneyland. Uh Richard, your third. Does it fall into a places or people category? Well, it is another food one. Oh. But I think it I think it falls into the same thing that Michael kind of does, which is uh essential Los Angeles. Mm. Um and this one is the Dodger Dog. Awesome. Mm. If I go to Dodger Stadium, I do not consider it an actual trip to the game if I have not had at least two Dodger Dogs. Mm-hmm. And I do this knowing that it's a hot dog. It's 90% marketing and 10% using decent quality beef. But is it any better than if I got a an Oscar Mayer hot dog at the store? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Depends how you cook it and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I'm not someone who's going to eat hot dogs on a regular basis outside of Dodger Stadium. You know, it's like we, we have hot dogs for dinner or if, if, or if people are, if we're doing a grill, I'm not going to bring hot dogs. That's sort of this thing that's there, and I'll have one occasionally, but it's not 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 a go to food for me, but every single time at Dodger Stadium, it feels weird if it's like the fourth mm. inning and I haven't had a Dodger dog uh, yet, yeah, and I know I'm getting suckered by the marketing, and I know I'm getting suckered by the by the uh the whole concept of associating the food with the team, but it works there I am. Yeah. Well, what uh, uh, what what is the do you eat hot dogs outside of? Like I said, not very often. I mean, maybe occasionally, but it's not it's not something that we have on a regular basis. No. Yeah. I I have a you know, with um, with a three year old kid, it is one of like the things that he eats just a cut up hot dog that I like I literally can put down and he will eat and I don't have to like pull my hair out 
to pester him to get him to eat. So uh, it, it has become a staple of, of our household, yeah. but I'm, I'm with Richard. Like I, I think it's, I think you go to a place like Disneyland or Dodger stadium and there is a, like a magic of the ballpark washes over you. And it is a nostalgia aspect and you're eating a hot dog. You're in the stands. Uh, and it's a Dodger dog and they've marketed it, like you said, so well. And I think that there is just like, uh, it's very ritualistic. It's, um, it's just a part. It's just what you do. It's like, there's no, like you sit there and you're like, no, no, no. Uh, but we're, we got ways. I got to go get a dog. I got you, but you just, we just had lunch before we showed up. This is a five, this is a five o'clock game. It's a late afternoon game. Well, you know, I still got to get one. Yeah, yeah. No. And even though that Dodger stadium has, you know, dozens of stands with all this sort of interesting, uh, fair that you can pick up, I I'm passing on it. I'm mm-hmm. not getting the carnitas loaded nachos. Um, I'm getting the Dodger dog. That's just the way it is. And, and probably the, probably the garlic fries if the line's not too long. And it's very, I think there's something about like going there about going to Dodger stadium. And I think everybody has their rituals. Like when they go to their favorite sporting venue. And for me, it's, it's the Dodger dog. Yeah. Do you think there is something, so I I'm fascinated with belief systems and how people, are trapped in them and, and how they form. They can be multi-generational. They can uh, be, you know, they, they, they can be, they can impact you in ways that you don't even understand. It seems like uh, that ritual, like I think if I think of the holidays and how there are certain flavors and tastes and smells and uh, ceremonies that go with the holidays, but that's part of the ceremony of the Dodger stadium too. Right. And it's part of your belief in this pastime and this experience and yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, I I think if, if look, if you, if you made a Dodger dog and made it the exact same way and presented it to me at home, I'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good hot dog. Okay. But when I'm at Dodger stadium, there's something about this, the experience of it that makes it like 10 times better. Mm Mm-hmm. And it is all that kind of ritualistic bullshit that I shouldn't buy into, but yet here I am paying, you know, whatever it is now, seven bucks for a Dodger dog. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. I, I think if there's some things that I buy as an adult just because I'm glad to buy them with my own money as opposed to a kid, like a little kid. I remember wanting something and my parents would say, you already had one, you know, or something like that as an adult. Like, ah, now I can buy all the Dodger dogs I want. Oh. <laughs> idiot okay okay uh winfield your final choice um uh he was referred to just a few moments ago but it's my kid felix and i'm a sucker for him because uh he's three and a half and he's uh out of his mind bored at home we're trying our best and while he's home from you know being uh home from his daycare and He's also just three, which is like, you know, they're just starting to get rebellious a little bit and starting to push back. And uh, sometimes he has like just an entire day of like being a terror and really contradictory and difficult. And like, I got to put it in my head. Uh, He's three. He's learning. And then he walks out of his room and he says, "Ah, ah, ah, hey there, look at my stinky Dracula teeth. And he pulls like this wet glob of like a fake 
like plastic teeth out of his mouth and I just melt and just everything <laughs> about every all the difficulty of the day and how you know how he's going to fight going to bed later and eh, it'd be difficult brushing his teeth and uh, aside the from the hot dog that's cut up of you know just being like can you eat that can you please eat you got to eat can you just eat that no i don't know and then the word stinky dracula teeth and you're just like ah oh, bless this little child of mine <laughs> Yeah, and I'm just a suck. Like you know, I'm sometimes I'm so tired at the end of the day. Emily is too, uh, and then you know, like in his room, you just hear him be like, "No, don't don't get knocked down. No, you're the bad guy. No, you're the bad guy now. And I'm gonna not help you up." And this small voice, and you're just like, "Oh, this little sweetheart." It's so ridiculous, Jeff. I know that you don't have kids, and it's hard to relate. But oh. man, when when they show those moments of just being really sweet and genuine and silly and wonderful after the moments where you're just like, I'm, I'm done with you. (laughs) (laughs) You are so, Oh my God, stop pushing back against everything we're saying. And then stinky Dracula teeth is going to be on his Wikipedia page on the first line of things that he said. Well, I, you know, I, I hesitate to ever say this to parents because I know absolutely that there's a large difference between the the affection one may have for their fur babies and actual babies. I know I know a dog is not an actual child, and even to mention them in the same breath is to trivialize. But when my dog streaks a brown streak of poop by sliding his ass across the carpet that my wife loves, and and I get aggravated at this guy. And then he looks up with me with these like doe eyes. Like <laughs> I think I didn't even birth, you know, <laughs> he's, he has not none of my progeny and I still can't stay mad at this little idiot. Um, but, uh, Oh my God. Yeah. That sounds, uh, it sounds so awesome. It almost sounds like too, he, he's got, he's got some Michael and some Emily all mixed together in this crazy, crazy brew that uh, is probably irresistible. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, now, Richard, if you say Felix also. Yeah, that'd be uh, weird, right? That's going to be really weird. <laughs> Awkward. No, my last one is in the world of uh, pop culture. And it is the enemy of my enemy is my friend trope. Oh. So otherwise known as it's known on the tvtropes.com page as the enemy mine mm-hmm. trope. Uh, which I thought was pretty great. And it's basically whenever there is a situation, a lot of times you see this in comic books or you'll see it on TV show, long running TV shows where the established bad guy or one of the established bad guys winds up working with the hero to defeat some other bad that maybe is even worse than this bad guy or somehow their interests align. So they're both, have a reason to want to defeat the big bad. And I every time every time you see the bad guy and the good guy working together, it just gets me. It just it just I'm entertained. I'm entertained. It it automatically makes me more interested in in it than I was before. And so like the perfect example and I know neither of you watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but there was the character Spike and at one point he winds up working with Buffy to foil this plan by Angel when Angel was bad to uh, destroy the world and Angel and uh, sorry Spikes gives a speech about why he's doing this and it's basically because he likes Earth 
he likes the world and he doesn't want it to change. He likes having uh, all these people he can feast on. He likes Manchester United soccer. You know, he goes to this list of things that he loves. So why would he want to end the world? That doesn't make any sense. Of course he wants to try and stop Angel. And just anytime that kind of trope comes up, and I know it comes up quite a bit in comic books where there have been times where the Joker has, has had to work with Batman because there's some other big bad that's out there and it, it's in the Joker's best interest to, to get rid of him. And I'm sure you guys as comic book guys can come oh, up yeah, with yeah. more examples than I could. Um, but anytime that happens, it like I said, it, it, it just entertains me to no end. And it's just that juxtaposition of this. Maybe it's because you get to root for the character that you always kind of weren't allowed to root for before. Mm-hmm. And especially if the character is kind of an anti-hero or, or you know, to begin with. Yeah. I think it makes it, gives you that much more invitation to be able to, to even briefly root for the bad guy. Mm-hmm. I think I think there is an, also uh, an aspect of it really proves a hero's worth when they are willing to knowingly work with a, a bad guy to, uh, you know, cause a, a better outcome. And then at the end, they still sometimes have that moment of like, ah, oh, finally, he's going to turn. He's going to make a turn. And then they turn back and you're like, ah, oh, come on. How did yeah. this, how did they, how is this guy a sucker now? Uh, Superman, of course, Lex Luthor is going to do the wrong thing. He's a dick to you always. He's never really going to help you. Exactly. Come on. Come on. Exactly. And you thought, you thought that he's, he'd make it, he'd turn it over. Now you're the sucker. Lots of suckers yeah. going on here. There's suckers all over the place. <laughs> I, I think Loki has been in the MCU like that. It seems like half, half the time he's at least fighting against the big bad with the heroes, but then trying to get his own here and there. Trying to game the situation to his advantage, yeah. even if even if he's doing the right thing, it's for the wrong reasons usually. Yeah, yeah. I do appreciate. I do appreciate that by um whatever uh, Thor Ragnarok that at least Thor finally grew as a character to be like ah, we know what you're gonna do every time, every time, and yet you do it, and yet you expect me to follow, and it's very yeah, very well, cleverly. Cleverly done, because mm-hmm. Thor is often portrayed as kind of a dumber character or a more genuine, more trusting character. Mm-hmm. I do think, so when you take an improv class, the first thing they teach you is that improv is too hard to really do uh, to create real conflict like you have in a drama or something like that. So, so improv and really just about everything it's predicated on so much structure and agreement. There's so much agreement in, in MMA and boxing and football, all this conflict war. There's so much agreement in war. Like we're going to fight in this certain theater of battle and we're going to ac- agree to this, all this set of rules and things like that. Like it's amazing how actually uh, these, these people who are pr- creating conflict are on the same they're actually on the same team. <laughs> They're on team, team conflicts. So I, when people team up, I always think it's kind of hilarious because it's like, well, you were already agreeing on all these things to begin with. So you know, I'm rambling. Um, yeah, I think that's so fun. It is so fun to see, especially since they have so much in common as, as the villain is usually monologuing. The first thing they say is, it is a pity we must fight. 
<laughs> we are we are in many ways alike you and i um so yeah that's a lot of fun all right well uh this is the point where uh i am a sucker for you guys and i'm a, a sucker for like never wanting to disappoint one of you guys by picking one or the other but i think you want me to do that i think you want me to like make a person the winner uh i think you want me to do my goddamn job ultimately uh and i'm gonna do that um I'm gonna. I'm not gonna not vote for hot dogs, and I'm not gonna not <laughs> vote <for> Felix, <laughs> and I'm not gonna not vote for Disneyland, and I'm not gonna not vote for my favorite ice cream, mint chip. Um, oh right, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> mint chip buddies. <laughs> mint chip pals. You and I. We got to ride a tandem bike to uh, Baskin Robbins after this pandemic. That'll be the first thing we do. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah. Just like just like Muppets Take Manhattan. Yes, exactly. Our skinny legs. Um, okay, dudes. So that's awesome. So I chose them. And I I don't know. Uh, we've got another episode after this. We have our uh, New Year's Eve episode. And yeah. We better, we better think of a good topic. <laughs> uh, how about how about um how about the Mount Rushmore of things we're looking forward to in 2021? Hey, I love it. Let's yeah, be optimistic. Okay. Let's be yeah. optimistic instead of ending it on like Mount Rushmore of like vicious ways to get yeah. killed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Par- parts you don't want fed into a wood chipper. <laughs> Go. Okay, dudes. Well, um, uh, happy Christmas Eve for those who are listening to this on the day it comes out and have a f- wonderful Christmas if that's something that you celebrate and uh, all the other things and we'll talk to you on New Year's and this has been the Mount Rushmore of hello uh, things you're a sucker for I as always am Jeff I'm Richard I'm Michael 